Thank you for downloading the podcast. We pray the Word of God will richly bless you today. So let's get right into the Word, knowing that God will speak into our lives today. How many love the Lord this morning? Now we're, we're doing a little series, a little Christmas series called What? What Are You Doing With Love? Amen. In our first message we preached, uh, we talked about how God's not your problem. He loves you. He cares for you. Everybody say, God loves me. Say, God loves me. I heard a deal the other day about John G. Lake. John G. Lake was a man that lived back at the turn of the last century and was at Azusa Street in 1905, received the baptism of the Holy Ghost, went to Africa, had a tremendous ministry in Africa, and then he went to, uh, he went to uh, Spokane, Washington, built a church there, and had what they called healing rooms. And out of those healing rooms came over 105,000 testimonies of miracles, signs and wonders and healings that God wrought to the point that the Congress of the United States declared, I believe it was in 1922, declared Spokane, Washington the healthiest city in the United States just because of the healing power of God that was in manifestation. Well, it says of him that he got up every morning, looked in the mirror and said, God lives in you. God loves you and God lives in you. You know the same thing's true of you? Not just of some great preacher that lived years ago, but of you. God lives in you. God loves you and God lives in you. Amen. And then last week we studied how we return that. How when God, we begin to recognize that God loves us, it brings value to our life. You know, there are a lot of things that the world gives us, an education, a, 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 maybe, a, maybe a, a, a career, uh, things that, you know, that, that give us value and self-worth, but nothing on this earth can give you true value and self-worth like God can. When you really recognize God, when you look in the mirror and despite all your, your insufficiency, all your mistakes, and you just can, you know, God loves me. I mean, it just blows you away. And you, you, you realize I was so valuable to God that he sent his son Jesus to die for me and redeem me, and he found me. You say, what do you mean by that? You didn't find him, he found you. I've heard people say, I was looking for God in drugs. He's not there. That ain't hard to figure out. Well, I was looking for God and success. He's not there. Amen. No, he's found in his word, in his presence. It's an anointing. And many of us were just lost and undone without God. And God found us and rescued us. So God loves us. Then what do we do? We love God. And we studied last week about how worship. Worship is one of the most important principles. The more we worship God, the more we come before. And we've got opportunity at church to worship God. We've got opportunity in our own homes to worship God. We've got opportunity as we drive around on the streets to worship God. We need to be worshipers of God because that's returning that love. Because we praise Him for what, what He does and we need to do that continually. But then we worship Him for who He is. He's our very own Heavenly Father. Amen. Now today we're going to look at, at, at loving one another, which is a, sometimes becomes a little difficult. One of the biggest problems in the kingdom of God and the body of Christ is we try to like people. Amen. Now, even Jesus himself had enough wisdom to not create relationships with a lot of people. In reality, there were only three that were close, although he, he chose 12 that were around him and he did have relationship with him. Actually, only three were close to him. And you know, in life, it's kind of like that too. The closest people to me are my family, my wife, uh, my, my daughter, 
uh, my dad, my brother, sister-in-law, my sister. Those people are close to you in relationship with those types of people. But uh, outside of that, God calls us into a body and he calls us to love one another. Everybody say love one another. Now, when I, uh, when I came up with this term that I'm using for this series, what are you doing with love? Love is something that you have to do it every day. It's not just an opportunity when somebody makes you mad. No, it's something that you do every day and you do it with people that you like, people that you don't like, people that uh, irritate you, people that uh, make you mad. And you do it, first of all, within the confines of the body that God calls you to. And then secondarily, you take that love to a fallen world. Because the world cannot resist the love of Jesus. Cannot do it. They can resist religion, tradition, all these other things. But we've got to learn within the confines of who we are to walk in love one toward another, above criticism, above all the other mundane things in life that, that happen just because we're human beings on the earth. We've got to learn that there is an effort, and if we put forth that effort to love one another, it becomes supernatural, and that supernatural love in us bonds us together and manifests what the Bible calls the spirit of faith. Amen. Amen. Now, go, if you will, to Psalms. I'm going to kind of go around my elbow to get to my ear today. But I think you'll like it. Amen. Go to Psalms 118 real quick. I've got several scriptures I want to use. Psalms 118, verse 24. We're just going to pick one verse out of there. Psalms 118, verse 24. Is that me? Now look at verse 24. It says, this is the day which the Lord hath made, we will rejoice and be glad in it. Everybody say, this is the day the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. Now, I wanted to use that scripture today because it's familiar to most of y'all. Most of y'all have heard that scripture before. But that's not talking about a 24-hour period. That, you know, there's one day that the Lord is made. This is actually talking about a, 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 a section or a space of time. Amen. Now, we've got to understand the day. Everybody say the day that we live in. Uh, there was a, a minister that's gone on to be with the Lord uh, that was mightily used of God named Dr. Lester Summerall. And we were acquainted with him and, and familiar with him. He was a blessing to our, our, our life and ministry. And Dr. Summerall said this to us one time. He said, one of the biggest mistakes people make in church, in the kingdom of God, is not to realize, quote, the day they live in. Not to realize, quote, the hour that they live in. Not to understand, quote, the season that they live in. Amen. Now, Jesus came to the earth in three and a half years of miracle ministry died on the cross, rose from the dead, received from the Father the person and the power of the Holy Spirit, breathed on the disciples. They became born again, John chapter 20, then poured out the Spirit upon the church in Acts chapter 2. Men and women became born again. Everybody say born again. Jesus, Jesus is the one that said, he said, you must be born again. Then they became baptized in the Holy Ghost and those that were uh, 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 spiritually dead, separated from God, became united to God and began to live lives uh, not, not motivated by the flesh or the mind, but by the Spirit. Revival broke out all over the world. Uh, men like the Apostle Paul and Peter and James and John and, and churches uh, grew up in Ephesus and Corinth and, and Philippi and God began to move mightily. So much so, 
that about 300 years after this, after these events that took place in the initial outpouring of the Holy Ghost when the church began, about 300 years after that, there was an emperor in Rome named Constantine. Anybody ever heard his name? And he decided that the whole world through governmental edict would be Christian. That would just be like our president getting up and giving a speech uh, tonight and saying, well, I really don't care what you are or who you are. But if you live in America, you're a Christian. Don't call yourself a Muslim. Don't call yourself an atheist. Don't call yourself a heathen. Because we as the government are declaring you a Christian. Now, one thing that that did is that included all the heathen mindsets in Christianity. The church became what's called universal. Now, don't get mad if I say this, but you need to understand some things about church history. That is the Catholic Church. That is how the Catholic Church began, was through an edict of Constantine, 300 years after the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ, in which he just declared the whole, the whole world is Christian. The whole world is Christian. Doesn't matter if you, if you serve other gods. Doesn't matter if you do. We, we declare you Christian. And so they kind of just absorbed. Now what that cost, now listen to this. God didn't like that. God did not like that. What that caused was 1,200 years. Are you with me? A millennium and 200 years in which we call the dark ages. And honey, it was dark. I'm telling you, go study that period. There were plagues that almost wiped out the earth. There were things that went on that were just incredibly dark. I mean, wickedness like you would not believe. And then all of a sudden, all of a sudden, one individual found what we would call, what would become actually part of the canon of the scripture that we call the Bible. And in the study of the Bible, a man named Martin Luther determined, we don't serve God by government edict. The just shall live by faith. Amen. Well, that was a revolutionary statement. I mean, there was resistance against it. There was all kinds of, of turmoil. It, it, it upset the apple cart of, quote, religion and tradition. But God began to use that. That one simple statement, the just shall live by faith. Not by what the government says, not by what the Holy Church says, not by what the Pope says, not by what cardinals dictate, not by what the priest said. The just are going to have to live by faith in God. Amen. I'm just kind of giving you a thumbnail sketch of this and so, some, of the, some of the high points. Now come down a few hundred more years and we find, uh, we find two brothers named Wesley. And they began uh, a, a, a move of God. God began to use that, which became the Methodist church or Methodism. Now, where Martin Luther established a law out of the word of God or brought that law into revelation, the just shall live by faith, the Wesley brothers brought this into the kingdom of God. You're going to have to live holy. Holiness. Now, the Methodist church has kind of got off of that in, years, in recent years, but they literally teached, preached, and lived holiness. And God, and God put his hand upon that. Amen. Amen. Now, other things happened uh, since, since they uh, came on the scene. But in 1907, a one-eyed African-American gentleman named William Seymour, who had sought God up in St. Louis, who had came down to Alvin, Texas, and sought God in a small prayer meeting, and then migrated out to California to a city called, a little city called Azusa. In 1907, the Holy Ghost was poured out in Azusa Street in an unprecedented way. 
Now, I know there were little moves before that. There was the Welsh revival. There were other things. But I'm kind of trying to get us where, where we're at uh, here in America and what has affected us. Now, out of that revival came all kinds of wonderful things. Great, great denominations, the Assemblies of God, the Foursquare Church, uh, uh, great moves of God, Pentecostal holiness, different things like that. Uh, the evangelization of the world began. Missionaries began to rise up and go to the world. And that began to just chug along pretty good until about 1948. And God began to emphasize healing. And what began to take place was called a healing revival. Now that healing revival, 1948 through 1959 or 1960, around there, uh, did not, it did not stop then. All of these things were reintroductions of what God wanted in the church. Through Martin Luther, God reintroduced the just shall live by faith. Are you with me? Uh, through the Wesley brothers, uh, God reintroduced, you're going to have to live holy. Uh, through William Seymour, he reintroduced, uh, you need the baptism of the Holy Ghost. You need the power of God in your life. Come on, church. Uh, uh, through, uh, uh, through all of these wonderful ministers in the voice of healing, uh, Teal Osborne, Oral Roberts, Jack Cole, uh, William Brannan, A.A. Uh, a. Allen, uh, Kenneth E. Hagan, through all of these powerful healing evangelists, God reintroduced healing into the church. Amen. Then in about 1968, 69, right in there, out of a little movement that took place in what we call the hippies. Remember the hippies? The Jesus movement. Out of that movement, something began called the charismatic move. And the charismatic move was the regathering of those out of the dead denominations that did not know anything about the move of God, the Spirit of God, or the Holy Ghost. And God began to take from all over Christianity thousands of people. My mom and dad were a big part of that. Uh, mom and dad told me a story one time of being with Morris Sorello in a full gospel businessman meeting where there were hundreds of people. And they said personally that they probably laid hands on over 400 people that night just to receive the baptism of the Holy Ghost. It was like popcorn popping, just everyone you touched. Well, what was God doing? He was reintroducing, you need to be filled with the Holy Ghost. You need the life and the power of God. Now, while that went on, there was a very unique gentleman raised up out of that from Houston, Texas. His name was John Osteen. And what John Osteen reintroduced into the body of Christ was the independent church. The church solely depended upon God. The church that had to live by faith, operate by faith, do everything by faith, so that by faith God would have his hands totally, or Jesus would have his hands totally upon his church. There would not be a corporation that would dictate what would happen. There would only be Jesus who would sit at the head of the church. There would not be a denomination, so to speak, that said, well, you can do this, you can do that. This is the perimeters in which things you can do. You literally saw God raise up churches, build beautiful buildings, handle millions of dollars with no denominational support whatsoever. It was a phenomenon of God, and God was restoring the church. Amen. On the heels of that, we had a great teaching revival. That great teaching revival reintroduced, number one, the doctrine of redemption. More and more people begin to learn who they were, what they had, what they can do in Christ. And right on the heels of that great teaching revival came a prosperity move unprecedented upon this earth. And the church began to learn, we can prosper. We can tithe. We can offer. We can believe God, and God can bless our lives. Amen. Now, all of that kind of came to its conclusion around 1999, 2000, 2001, 2002. Now, from that point till now, we've really not seen anything. 
You say, really? No. But we're fixing to. Now you say, what are we fixing to see? What I'm going to teach you on today. We're going to see the last thing that God's going to do before the rapture of the church. You say, who did you get this from? I got him from the Holy Ghost. You say, what is the last thing God is going to do before the rapture of the church? He's going to bring us into unity. Now, let me, let, doesn't that agree with your spirit? He's going to bring the church into the unity of love. Now, one of the reasons I, this, this, when I was praying, this came to me because I remember the last days of Brother Hagen when he was on the earth, who was a renowned teacher of faith, a renowned teacher on the gifts of the Spirit, a renowned prophet of God that moved in the Spirit of God. But his last messages that he preached, and he emphasized, These are the, this is the greatest message I'll ever preach. This is what you have to hear. If you do not hear this, you will not be a part of what God's doing in the last of the last days. You've got to hear it. And for the last months that he was alive, you know what he preached on? Love. The the, he titled it this, the greatest of these is love. Now, if God is going to reintroduce unity into the body of Christ, where we actually and truly walk by the love of God, what is the enemy going to do? He's going to resist it. He resisted the outpouring of the Holy Ghost in 1905. He resisted the charismatic move. He resisted the prosperity move. He resisted the independent faith move, uh, church movement. He resisted all, and he's going to resist this because he knows, he knows for God so loved the world, and if anybody really gets a hold of that love doctrine and unity comes to the body of Christ, what's the body of Christ going to do? It's going to stand up in the fullness of the Spirit. And you're going to see signs, wonders, and miracles unprecedented on this earth. It's not going to be like the book of Acts because the book of Acts was the latter house. We're the former house. Now, let's go through this real quick. How's my time? Oh, I'm doing good. Go to Matthew again. We were there last week. Let me read this and we'll, we'll just, I'm going to hit these scriptures and then and come to a conclusion real quick. Verse 34 of Matthew chapter 22 Verse 34, Matthew 20. But the Pharisees, now remember the Pharisees were religious, traditional, controllers. Amen. The Pharisees had heard that he'd put the Sadducees to silence. They were gathered together, and one of them, which was a lawyer, asked him a question, tempting him, saying, Master, which is the great commandment in the law? Now listen, they weren't trying to be kind to get some answer. They were trying to trick him. They were always trying to get Jesus to a point where he would say something, and they'd go, that's not right. But he had such wisdom. Amen. Now notice what he said. Jesus said unto him, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy mind. This is the first and great commandment. The second is like unto it. Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. On these two commandments hang all of the law and the prophets. Now you've got to understand, if all of the law and the prophets hang on those two laws or those two statements right there, we must understand that to walk in love fulfills the entire law. Now, let me just say this. Now, don't get mad at me. Don't, don't get upset if you've lived some way in your life and something negative has happened to you because you did not walk in love. Don't get mad. Adjust it. Make an adjustment. Start walking in love now and restore yourself. But listen, marriages that walk in love don't end up in divorce courts. I'm telling you, they don't. People that walk in love one toward another, listen, they'll, they'll do anything. They will prefer the other before themselves. 
They, they won't get into strife. Oh, we'll, we'll, we'll look at some of that in just a moment. On these commandments hang all of the law and the prophets. Now, real quick, go to Luke. Let me show you something in Luke. Remember I said I was going to go around my elbow to get to my ear. But I believe you'll get it. Luke chapter, Luke chapter 4. Luke chapter 4, quick scripture, real quick, verse 18. Jesus speaking, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he hath anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He hath sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives, the recovering of the sight to the blind, to set at liberty them that are bruised. Now notice this. Verse 19. To preach the acceptable year of the Lord. Do you see that? To preach the acceptable year of the Lord. Everybody say it. Acceptable year of the Lord. Say it again. Say acceptable year of the Lord. Now notice very closely the next scripture. And he closed the book. Now we know because of what the scripture says in that chapter, there was delivered unto him the book of the prophet Isaiah, uh, that he went to the synagogue as was his custom. This is after he came out of the, the wilderness, 40 days and 40 nights. And he, there was handed him the book of the prophet Isaiah. He turned to what we would call Isaiah 61, begin to read out of there. Now that scripture that he read concludes by saying, and the day of the vengeance of our God. But before Jesus got to the phrase, the day of the vengeance of our God, he closed the book. Everybody should have ran around the church three times. You say, what do you mean by that? We are not living in the day of the vengeance of our God. We are living in the acceptable year of the Lord. Now, the acceptable year of the Lord is a what? It's not just 365 days. It's a dispensation of time in which what is upon the earth? The grace of God is upon the earth. The mercy of God. Listen, listen. The phenomenal explosion in population upon this earth where we're approaching 7 billion people on this planet, the only reason that has happened is because we are living in a dispensation instead of judgment being upon this earth. There is the grace of God, the love of God, the mercy of God, and the favor of God. Before that, in the dark ages and at other times, Satan was wiping whole societies of people off of the earth especially after redemption because he knew that every person that got saved had the potential of becoming another one of those Jesus people. So we live in the acceptable year of the Lord. And it is a time in which when we please God through our faith, it is because he sees a reflection of himself in us. He sees people that are taking his word and creating their world with it. Uh, you need to heal that here. I might, I might preach me a series on that. They're taking his word, how? In his likeness, in his image, as being a creator, he being the great God Almighty, Elohim, with a great big capital G, and we being little gods down on the earth, taking his word and creating our world with his word. You say, I don't like my world. You need to create something better. Now, real quick. I'm about to get all my scriptures. Go to John. Jesus speaking again. This gospel of John, chapter 13. Now, this is another key right here. John chapter 13, there, verse 34. A new commandment. I says, a new commandment? Well, God, we can't even fulfill the other ones. Now, notice this. Already talked about loving God. Already talked about loving God with all your heart. 
Already talked about loving your neighbor, amen. But now notice this. A new commandment I give unto you, that's there in verse 34, that ye love one another. Now he gives you a perimeter. He gives you an instruction on how to do it. As I have loved you. Amen. That you also love one another. Now know this. By this shall all men know that you are my disciples because you've built a big building and you have signs and wonders and miracles in that building and you go to missions, you do missions all over the world and everybody thinks you're cool. Now what are we saying? The last thing God's going to do before he brings the church out of here, he's going to bring unity. And Jesus himself said, all men are going to know that you're of me because when they look in on you, you're not fighting, you're not in strife, there's not division among you. You're not critical of one another, no matter what's going on, because we're just people like everybody else, except we're in the family of God. Amen. And we're commanded to love. Amen. When, when I first went into ministry, I spent some time with Mom Goodwin before I married Leah. This is before Leah and I. Leah and I spent much time with her, but I, I was there by myself. And... Uh, under the anointing of the Holy Ghost, she looked at me. She said, Rusty? I said, yes, ma'am. She said, don't get involved with computers. I said, well, Nana, why not? And she said, if you do. And she said, now, don't listen to what I'm telling you. She said, you can have people around you that are experts. You can have, you know, other people that can do it. But don't you do it. I knew it was a word from God. I said, don't you do it. Well, there wasn't, no, there wasn't what we, this was back in 1980. Lord, this was in 1985. Think what computers have become. Now, I'm not, don't you go around saying, well, Pastor Rusty said, we're not supposed to be involved with computers. If you go out and say that, I'm going to love you with a baseball bat. <laughs> Amen. This, this was for me, personally for me. But you don't know how many times I've sat in pastor's office, offices and dealt with situations in which youth pastors and praise and worship people and people have been in pornography, been in all this kind of stuff. and say, well, I'll never do that. Well, there's, you better be careful. But then, uh, the other day, I wanted to show Leah something, and I had her pull up something, and I showed her volumes, volumes, volumes of the most vile, critical uh, 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 information and communication about some of the people that we would revere the highest. Brother Hagen, Teal Osborne, Oral Roberts, people, contemporaries today, Benny Hinn, Joel Osteen, Joyce Myers, people that, if they walked in here, we would honor them and love them, and they would impart to us great wisdom and great things from God. But there's just volumes and volumes and volumes and volumes and volumes of vile, horrible, nasty criticism, all kinds of garbage. And, and, I, and I said, look, honey, this is all over. The, this is everywhere. And what it is, it's not the Bandito's motorcycle gang putting that up. It's not the Hell's Angels. It's other Christians You better be careful what you put on the internet. You say, why? Because once it gets on there, it's there. And you become critical. You begin to say things. I guarantee you, it will eat you up. But what's amazing about that is, is that all of it is, is, is confined to a group of people that we identify with. 
It doesn't talk about other denominational pastors and people that you... No, this is people that are saved, filled with the Holy Ghost, believe that God saves, heals, prospers, blesses, can deliver a drug addict that believes that way. The most criticism you've ever heard in your life, and it's inward in the body of Christ. That's got to be healed. I said, that's got to be healed. And one way it gets healed is by us walking in love toward people that do that. Because anytime you respond to criticism, then you're breaking this commandment. And then men will not know that you're my disciples because you're just like everybody else. You call me out, I'll call you out. You insult me, I'll insult you. You stomp on my big toe, I'm going to stomp on your big toe. That's exactly how the world and the world system operates. So you've got to make a decision to separate yourself from that and make a decision in every area of my life, I'm going to walk in love. I don't care who says what, how they say it, where they say it, or how they're going to criticize me. It does not matter. I remember the first real challenge of this that I had in my, in my ministry. We were up at, at Abundant Life. I was teaching full-time in Bible school as well as traveling full-time in evangelistic ministry. And we had a new class of Bible school students that had come. And two of them went to the uh, uh, Bible school administrator and said to them, uh, well, we can't, we, we, we like all the classes, but we can't go to Rusty Martin's class. So what they told them, the, the, uh, it was uh, Wally Hamilton was the Bible school administrator at the time. Said, we, we can't go to his class. And they said, well, you know, Wally said, well, why, why can't you go to uh, 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 Brother Rusty's class? He says, well, he teaches faith, faith, but he's a fake. That's what they said. And so he said, Wally said, why is he a fake? And they said, well, his daddy's rich. That's what they said. They said, anything Rusty needs, he just asks his daddy. And you, you got to understand this. Any negative thing ever said about you will get right back to you, amplified. Amen. Well, of course, Wally got them both up and took them to the red-haired fella's office. Some of y'all know what I'm talking about. <laughs> Amen. Uh, that was a spooky thing and probably still is. And he, of course, set their wagon straight. Amen. But when I heard that in me, there was this recoil in me. How many know what I'm talking about? That I thought to myself, what in the world? I knew, I knew it was a, you know, an attack on your character, an attack on your office, an attack on your family. And you're like, oh my God, you know, where's my 38? I'll fix all this real quick. But I knew in my heart that it was an opportunity that I had to walk in love. And so what I did, instead of, you know, just teaching this way at the class all the time. <laughs> amen. I gave them special attention. I taught them. And when they went into ministry, I helped them. He said, did you feel like doing it? No, I did not feel like doing it. I did it because of love. That's what love does. Love goes beyond and loves its brother or sister for no other reason than Jesus commanded it. And Jesus said, if you love me, keep my commandments. Now, real quick, go to the, go to the 
First John. First John chapter three. Because I need to get to Corinthians real quick. First John chapter three. Verse 16, hereby perceive we the love of God because he laid down his life for us. Now, what kind of love is that? That God would lay down his life for us. God would lay down his life for us. You know, I, I heard that one of the, one of the uh, uh, doctrines in the Muslim religion that really is anti-Christian is this. We can't accept a God that would lower, lower himself to human standards and die. But thank God he did. Thank God he loved us so much that he came to the earth, became human, died on the cross, and redeemed us from sin, the fall of Adam. Hereby perceive we the love of God because he laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. That means we ought to follow that example. But whosoever has this world's goods and seeth his brother in need and shutteth up his bowels of compassion from him, how dwelleth the love of God in him? That's why you can't be stingy and serve God. Remember, we've said it several times. Two things God does not love, God does not like. He does not like lazy. He does not like stingy. My little children, let us love. Let us not love in word, neither in tongue. Don't let us just go, I love you. I, see, that's what a lot of people do. I love you. I love you. You're going to have to have some deeds. Let us not love. In word, neither in tongue, but in deed and in truth. You say, what does that mean, indeed? That means you're going to have to put some legs on your love. You're going to have to put some hands on your love. You're going to have to put some stuff in your love. Oh, hallelujah. And hereby we know that we are of the truth and shall assure our hearts before him. For if our heart condemn us, God is greater than our heart and knoweth all things, beloved. Beloved, if our heart condemn us not, they ha then we have confidence toward God. And whatsoever we ask, we receive of him because we keep his commandments. What's his commandments? Love. And do the things which are pleasing in his sight. And this is the commandment. That we should believe on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and love one another as he gave commandment. And he that keepeth his commandments dwelleth in him, and he in him. Hereby we know we abideth, he abideth in us by the Spirit which he hath given us. The only assurance of the Holy Ghost working in you is your love walk. Now, real quick, in closing. 1 Corinthians. Let me get over there. 1 Corinthians, love chapter Chapter 13. Now, we're going to take this for just a moment. Now, here's, what, here's the problem. You can't take what is written in 1 Corinthians chapter 13 and make a natural application of it to your life. You say, what do you mean by that? You can't go through this chapter and read it and say, okay, I'm going to do that and do that and do that and do that. You can't do it. it. It's not going to work. You're going to get so frustrated trying to do it that all, all it's going to do is make you mad and you're going to end up hating more than you love. You say, now why is that? Because love has to come from the inside out. Love is the first spiritual fruit that is developed in the life of the new creature. Number one, that's the first thing, love. Go to Galatians and read it. 
So if you're going to really walk by the agape love of God, that which God puts on the inside of you, you're going to have to, number one, have revelation. And that revelation is going to have to produce faith. And you're going to have to, by faith, learn to love one another. Are you with me? Now notice. I'm going to start out in the, well, let me just do it in the Amplified. If I do it in the Amplified, it'll be better. Amplified, verse 1. 1 Corinthians 13, if I can speak in the tongues of men and angels, and even of angels, have not that reasoning, intentional spiritual devotion, such as inspired by God's love, uh, love for and in us, I'm only a noisy gong and a clanging cymbal. If I have prophetic powers, the gift of interpreting divine will and purpose, and understand all the secret truths and mysteries and possess all knowledge, and if I have sufficient faith so that I can remove mountains, but have not love, God's love in me, I am nothing, a useless nobody. Whoa! Even if I dole out all that I have to the poor in providing food, surrender my body to be burned in order that I may glory, but have not love, God's love in me, I gain nothing. Now listen to this. God puts love above the gifts of the Spirit. God puts love against overpowering faith. God puts love above the five-fold ministry because every five-fold ministry has to walk in love. Above everything else, the greatest of these is love. Amen? So what are you going to have to do to walk in love? You, you don't read 1 Corinthians chapter 13 and go out and do it. You will never do it. And if you do it by willpower, it's not love, it's your will. So like every other scripture, if you were believing God for healing for cancer, if you were believing God for financial prosperity, what would you do? You would get into the scripture, you would meditate and confess it. You would... You would get into the scripture, you would meditate and confess it. Then every day when you got up in your confession, we got, thank you, Father, by your stripes I'm healed. Thank you, Father, that God supplies all of my need according to his riches and glory. You would confess, I'm walking in love. I'm walking in love today. I'm walking in love toward my brothers and sisters at Island Church. I'm walking in love toward my pastor. I'm walking in love toward everybody. I'm walking in love toward my... You would confess that every day along with everything else you confess. And then it would come up out of you and it would be something coming from your spirit instead of something coming from your mind or your emotions or your feelings. Because if you try to love by your feelings, you won't love your dog. <laughs> Freckles snapped at Leah yesterday. And Freckles paid the price. And then Leah had to get back in love. So you're going to have to do what? The central principle foundation of faith. You're going to have to believe it in your heart. Confess it with your mouth. Believe it in your heart. Confess it with your mouth. Believe it in your heart. So every day, you're going to have to get up and say these things to yourself. So verse 4. Love endures long and is patient and kind. We ought to be the kindest people on this planet. We ought to be the kindest people on this planet. And we shouldn't just put up with people. Well, I guess if I got to put up with them, I'll just put up with them. That's not love. Because we tend to do that. Now, I guess if I have to, listen, if you have that attitude, you ain't nowhere near love. 
Because remember, as much as you have to put up with someone else, someone is putting up with you. <laughs> I agree. Love is never envious, nor boils over with jealousy. It is not boastful, vainglorious, and does not display itself haughtily. What about other people that get what they're believing God for when you don't? Amen? What about, what about people that come up in prayer lines and receive instantaneous healings and you go back and your pain's worse than it was when you come up? And then somebody else running around the front going, I'm healed, I'm healed, crying, doing stuff like that. Amen? Love is never envious, nor boils over with jealousy. It is not boastful, vainglorious, nor does not, or it does not display itself hard. Listen, you can't go around with a puffed up image of yourself and your own spirituality. You get somebody saved, filled with the Holy Ghost and just enough knowledge in their mind to be dangerous, and I guarantee they can be some of the biggest jerks on the planet. You say, well, that's not walking in love. Well, I'm the pastor. I can do that. Because sometimes people just need to figure out, you don't know near as much as you think you know. You're not near as smart as you think you are. And let me just say this about God promoting people. If God's promotion is in your life, there ain't nothing that can stop it. Nothing that can stop it. When God promotes people, look at Joseph. He was in prison. God said, I'm going to promote you. And in a few weeks, he was a second in command of Egypt. And sometimes somebody will get promoted, somebody will get blessed, somebody will get this and that, and all of a sudden that jealousy rises up. All of a sudden, and that's the problem is we have all these outlets. Now, amen. It is not conceited, arrogant, inflated with pride. It is not rude or unmannerly. It does not act unbecomingly. Love, God's love in us, does not insist, does not insist does not insist on its own rights or its own way, for it is not self-seeking. What can you do for me? No, it should be, what can I do for you? How can you help me? No, it should be, how can I help you? Now, I know people come in crisis. They come with problems in their life, and we want to teach you and preach the Word of God to you and get you started in a life of faith and prayer and righteousness and holiness and get you walking in love. That may be a process that takes some time, but eventually you should get to a place where you're not coming to church looking for something. You're coming to church bringing a supply of something, a supply of faith, a supply of love, a supply of blessing, a supply of increase, a supply of the anointing, because in that God puts us together as one and nothing can stop us. If there's anything Satan wants to destroy, it's unity. Man, you go back and study fallen man in Babel was building a tower to God and God said, if we don't stop them, if we don't break their unity, they'll do it. Because anything they imagine is possible for them if they stay in unity. God had to confuse their speech. Shows you how powerful unity is. It's not self-seeking. Does not insist on its own rights or its own way, for it is not self-seeking. It is not touchy or fretful or resentful. It takes no evil, it takes no account of the evil done. I know people, they take account. They got a book. In their minds. 
and they can't remember what was preached last week. But honey, if they've ever had their little toe step on, they can tell you what day it was, whether it was raining or sunny. They can tell you what happened afterwards, what happened before it, because it so upset them. Amen. Now, now listen, let me help some of y'all. This might help some of y'all. Because people are saying, I don't know why these people are leaving the church. Well, I'm going to tell you why. Because people get offended. Because people get upset. Because people are walking in love. Aren't walking in love. And because there is an adversary out there trying to break the unity of anything that God tries to do. And if you're going to be a part of something God's doing, you've got to make a decision to hang in there no matter what. Shut your critical mouth. Quit spreading all kinds of garbage that causes disunity. Because what happens many times is God sees individuals that are going to rise up with a bunch of disunity and he just shows them the door. Pastor over in West Columbia, Texas, B.B. Hank is one of the wisest pastors I ever knew in my life. Pastored there 53 years, and his son Bobby still pastors a great church over there today. He made this statement. I thought it was a powerful statement. He says, it's not the people that leave you that hurt your church. He says, it's the people that need to leave and don't. Everybody say, uh-oh. Well, who are those people? Those that don't want to walk in love. Those that want to spread disunity and all that kind of stuff. Those that will not. He said, well, why don't you correct them? That's not my job. My job is to feed the sheep. To feed the sheep. And why, we might as well just go ahead and sweep the floor clean. Amen? Because, you know, you get into a church and people want to, well, I want to do this and I want to do that, all this kind of stuff. Now, first of all, God, Jesus, the head of the church, sets in offices the five-fold ministry places them in geographical locations and says, do the work of God there. That's it. You say, what do you mean? God doesn't call you to sing on the praise team. God doesn't call you to work back there. God doesn't call you to walk, work with the children. Oh, pastor, you blew it now. Yes, he, no, he doesn't. You go read Acts chapter 6. When the ministry of helps was instituted in the body of Christ, God did not institute it. Peter said, let us look out, find men of good report, full of the Holy Ghost that contend to this business. That means God trusts his spirit in the five-fold ministry to set in order in the church those that need to be set in the place. So, you know, you go around doing all kinds of crazy stuff, doing all kinds of wild stuff and think, well, I want to do this and I do want to do that. Well, I'm not going to let you do it. Because if you want to please anybody on this, in this building, you better please me. Amen? Getting quiet in here. <laughs> and I'm not a hard taskmaster. I'm pretty easy. I give people lots of rope. But you can build a bridge with a rope or you can tie a hangman's noose. Amen? See, a lot of people don't understand these principles. But if we're going to walk in love one toward a... Listen, let me say this. My time's up. I'm closing. We were at Abundant Life for 15 years. We poured our lives into that church. I still, every, not every day, I'm not going to lie and say every day, but I know at least every week I call out the Hallam family in prayer for God to bless. And I've done it ever since I left that church. Amen. Because I didn't leave that church to build a church. Actually, uh, we left in 2000 and didn't start Island Church until 2002. We waited 14 months. 
You say, why? I'll make sure it's God. And I still revere them as pastors. And I still pray for them. There's people that get upset in church. They say, well, I just go down the road and start another church. Listen, if you do something like that, you're going to open your life up to the, to the adversary who will destroy you. Only God can do that kind of stuff. And if you follow people that do that, you're just as stupid as they are. Amen. And I hate to use that word, but it's the truth. But to this day, I pray for them. To this day, I intercede over them. And if God just touches my spirit in intercession, I'll spend an hour sometime praying over abundant life. I'll drive into their parking lot, hold my hands up, say, God, bless this church. Bring revival. Pour out an oil. You say, why? I poured 15 years of my life into that church. And I love those people with all my heart. Come on, church. You say, why? Because the enemy will do anything he can do to break unity. And you've got to make a decision to get into 1 Corinthians chapter 13. You need to write that stuff down. You need to look at it. You need to get up every day and make that confession until it starts coming up out of you. And you begin to react like that in every situation of your life. And when you do that, that love will fuel your faith and nothing will be impossible to you. You will move mountains. You will kill giants. You'll see the anointing of God in your life. And the blessing of God will be upon you in such an unprecedented way. I don't talk a whole lot about how I live my life because people get mad at me. Because then they start comparing their lives to how I live and my lifestyle and they don't think that's fair. It ain't fair you got to take Pastor Paul deer hunting. Oh yeah, it is. You say, why? Because I believed God for actually two years to be able to do that. I sowed seed, I confessed, did you know how hard the devil fought that? Let me, give you, let me give you a little indication of how walking in love and living by faith works. When I heard Pastor Paul say that a couple of years ago in a conference, in my spirit, I knew I need to do that for him. In those two years, he cut his leg so bad he couldn't, work, he couldn't walk for three months. The devil almost tried to, tried to cripple him. He couldn't come to Island Church that year because he was so crippled. Uh, the, uh, the, the, the enemy attacked Shoddy when I was in the Philippines the first time. She broke her arm and had to all, have all kinds of pins put in her arm. When he tried to come in the summertime, God sent two hurricanes to stop. I mean, the devil sent two hurricanes to stop it. When it came time for him to get on the airplane to come here, to come to San Antonio to hunt with me, they shut down the entire East Coast and they canceled 6,000 Delta flights, his being one. And he texted me this, I will not let the devil stop me again. Amen. And he went and found him a Southwest flight, flew right in. Amen. So you think all this stuff is easy? You've got to fight for every inch. You've got to walk in love. You've got to walk by faith. Then God produces these beautiful experiences, whether it be some recreational thing that doesn't mean anything to anybody, or whether it be something like building a church, doing missions, evangelizing the world, and blessing hundreds and thousands of people. But we must walk in love. And I know in my spirit right now, some of you are fighting tremendous battles in your life. And there are things happening in your life. And you're thinking, how in the world am I going to find my way out of the clutter of what's going on in my life and you know things about faith and you know things about the Word of God, but you're going to have to make a decision to do some things by love. You're going to have to forget what was done to you. You're going to have to shut your mouth and quit rehearsing it. 
And you're going to have to make a decision. I'm going to walk by love. I'm going to walk by love. I'm going to quit fighting. I'm going to get myself out of the fight. I'm going to get myself into love. Because somebody loved me so much that they gave their life for me. Therefore, I'm going to become a lover. And I'm going to walk by love in every area of my life. Amen? Amen. Hallelujah. Brother Frank, go to the keyboard real quick. Hallelujah. Lift your hands up and thank God. Just lift your hands up and thank the Lord. Father, we thank you this morning. We thank you, Heavenly Father, for the love of God. And Father, we know that it was not easy for you to love the wickedness of fallen humanity and to send your only begotten Son in an ancient time in which on the surface it looked like such an impossibility. And then to wait centuries for what you deposited through redemption in Christ upon this planet to become what you want it to be. To become what you want it to be. So that your sons and daughters would love you. So that your sons and daughters would love one another. So that your sons and daughters could go out and love this hurting world in every way. So Father, I thank you today that every person in here would judge themselves as it says in 1 Corinthians 11. Judge themselves on their love walk. Judge themselves in their love walk. That they would do what Jesus commanded. That we would love the Lord God with all of our heart, with all of our minds, with all of our strength. And that we would love one another as Jesus loved us. Thank you for now, every head bowed, every eye closed, just for a moment. I'm going to give kind of an unusual altar call. I'm not going to really call it an altar call because I'm not going to ask you to come down here. But I want you to do something by faith today. I'm going to make it real simple. Nobody looking around but me. Ushers, bow your head. Close your eyes. Nobody looking around but me. You say, Pastor Rusty, I need to be walking in love. I've got some areas in my life have risen up some offense, some people, some things that have gone on. I'm angry, I'm bitter, I'm hurt. I need love to heal me. Then I need to walk in love. And as an act of faith today, I'm just going to slip up my hand and say, that's me, I'm going to walk in love. L- lift your hand right now. Lift your hand. We see it all over, the, all over the building. Put your hands down. Now listen, look this way. I'm going to agree with you that that simple act of faith of you lifting your hand is going to begin something today in your life in which you're going to make a decision to forgive. You're going to make a decision to get better and not bitter. That you're going to let go. You say, well, you don't know what they've done. I Listen, they've done it to me too. And they'll do it again to you tomorrow. But you've got to make a decision to walk by love. This is what's fixing to happen. Have you noticed how Satan has tried to bring disunity to this nation. Oh, come on, church. My goodness, on on an unprecedented level, he's doing everything he can do to cause disunity. What do you think his plans are for the church? The same thing. And I've said this to churches all over the world. All over the world. I'm going to say it to Island Church. I don't know if I've ever said it. Maybe I have. I don't remember. I'm going to say it today. When God adds you to a church, adds you to a move of God, 
where you have confidence in your pastor, confidence in the ministry and the direction of that ministry. A ministry that goes to the world, a ministry that blesses people. You're either doing one of two things. You're either fighting to get out or you're fighting to stay in. And I just advise everybody in here, fight to stay in. Fight to stay in. When God took me to Abundant Life, Abundant Life was not what it is today. It was a little church with 30 people. I came from the most dynamic church on this planet, sitting under the most dynamic pastor on this planet. For the first couple of years, I could have left every day. Every day I could have left. And I fought to stay there. 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 And it paid off. My wife, my brother, their family, our family, the blessings of God, incredible. Many of you, that's where I met you. And when I had to leave, I fought to stay. I sat in Pastor Hallam's office. I said, if I'm wrong, I'll be on your doorstep. I'll, be, I'll, be, I'll, be, I'll pitch a tent on your doorstep until you restore me. We had some years in which we were separated, but this summer we got back together and restored our fellowship together. You say why? Love never fails. And you have to walk in love. Hallelujah. Isn't God good? Lift your hands one more time. There's a beautiful anointing in here right now. kind of hate to leave when it's like that. Thank you for joining us. We trust you enjoyed the message today. For services and special events, visit our webpage at www.islandchurchgalveston.com. You can contact us by phone at 409-770-9113. We are located at 2411 69th Street, Galveston, Texas. And remember to keep looking unto Jesus. He is the author and the finisher of our faith.